0: Hello there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Thanks Morris podcast. I am Marie the SLP. I'm changing up the intro on you. I know, but we're here for the change, right? Today I'm talking with my friend Allie from Alice and the Human. We're actually. Continuing our conversation that we did in an Instagram live a couple nights before recording this podcast We have a lot of good stuff coming your way by the way This is not the last you'll be hearing from Allie and I together Allie is here to share all about her discovery as an autistic person She's also an SLP and so she has so many great things to teach us I am so excited to continue learning from her and she provides such a great voice in the actually autistic community. I'm just, I'm so grateful for her. And I don't even wanna keep talking because I want you to start listening to this amazing, amazing conversation. Hi Allie, welcome back to our conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited to keep it going.
0: We, um, for those of you that don't know and need to go still watch our live, we did a live, on a couple days ago that we wanted to continue talking about, um, all about just, I think, I think really like if I were to summarize and Ali, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but it was really just about like the need to kind of elevate, um, autistic people's perspective perspectives and voices in our communities and our society. Um, I don't know. You get,
1: yeah, that's exactly, exactly <laughs> it. We need to like collectively as a whole, um, listen to the voices of marginalized people and people that aren't, you know, um, that aren't often heard and don't often get a platform to share their perspectives Um, and often get, you know, kind of gaslit and ignored in mainstream culture. Um, so yeah, listening to the voices of autistic people is definitely on that list.
0: Yeah, exactly. I know. And it's, it's, unfortunately, a long list, Um, but it's, you know, I think this is a good place to start because we are both, and and we'll have you share your background, but we're both speech pathologists, and so, but you have a different lens, and I'll let you talk about that, um, because, you know, go for it, go for it.
1: Um, Yes, I am an actually autistic speech pathologist, and I say actually autistic for a handful of reasons. Um, It goes along with the, um, you know, hashtag actually autistic online community. And that is, that hashtag is what really opened all the doors for myself in figuring out neurodiversity post my diagnoses and like my own self-discovery. But also it's not, um, some of my coworkers, I think sometimes when I say actually autistic, get a little bit of a, a nudge of like, oh, what is, like what is that and it's just it's not to discredit people that aren't autistic or anything like that it's just to like clarify and be clear and direct um and you know have clear communication so yeah but it is an interesting perspective as you know growing up as a late diagnosed autistic person not knowing I was autistic until earlier this year when I was still I'm still 25 um and kind of figuring out how that works as a clinician and as a speech pathologist and working out, you know, what I was taught in my degrees about autism and my experience with autism, and then also like what I personally have experienced and how to mesh those things and what to share with others and what not to share. And yeah, it's a big jumbled pile of things. Yeah. Um,
0: And... It's, I think that, you know, and I could, I could say this and I've already, I know I said it on our live, but I'm so grateful that you've created this platform for yourself that is starting to really, I mean, I know you've probably seen more growth in the last couple months, but um, it's starting, we're starting to really see more actually autistic uh, people via maybe Instagram or different social media platforms feel more and more comfortable. And it's, you know, it's like, they say it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, but I've started seeing, I mean, that's how I've connected with you and um, others that are starting to feel like they, they want to be heard and and they almost like they deserve to be like, it's almost like our society has kind of not. And I don't, I, I mean, I'm just speaking from my own opinions and the things I've seen in the last four years as a speech pathologist, but it's like our society has made it so that way, you know, there's a certain way we do things. There's certain, you know, think of like social pragmatics. There's certain-
1: There's all these social constructs and they, society as a whole, clings to those social constructs because, you know, our society in the U.S. functions on like this individualistic, capitalistic society where it's like, if you're not being productive and you're not earning for yourself, then you're just lazy and you need to work harder. And that's just like, never the case. So it, yeah. And the movements around like intersectionality and activism and disability rights, um, especially earlier this week, being um, the International Day of Disability, um, There, there's movement, stuff happening right now. It is nice to see, I think, along with any type of social justice movement or, you know, advocacy movement, there's always that um, holdout of, well, you know, people have been trying this, actually autistic and neurodivergent people have been trying this for years. And so, um, obviously, we want all the progress and all the excitement and all the um, support we get. But I think until we see concrete changes, a lot of us are, you know, feeling the burden of making that fight a daily thing.
0: Yeah. And I can totally understand that. And that's part of why, you know, I think it's important for, you know, we can start from a place that we have, like you and I, we have a commonality. We are both Mm -hmm. speech pathologists. We're both passionate about working with autistic individuals and individuals that have identified needs or, you know, and maybe not identified needs. I mean, like, look at you with going through, you know, your whole childhood without that. You know, I work with preschoolers, but it's so important to me that if, you know, a parent has a question and maybe is a little fearful for an evaluation that I can have some sort of um, like a resource Kind of, kind of like you, or you know, or, or you, you know, where I can say, "Hey, Ali, how can I approach this? What is your perspective? Because you have that input that maybe I don't have." Um, yeah, and, you know and a I lot
1: thought. of my friends, like a lot of my friends who are um, like therapists and like just like general mental health therapists and like um, people across a few different disciplines. Like, I've had a lot of friends reach out, like, "Hey, I have a specific client that recently got this diagnosis, like." I've been learning a lot from you, but like, what should I, you know, where should I direct them? And um, it's so, it like makes me happy when people reach out about those specific things, because I think on social media, especially people assume that it's just like this ghost person and they don't have time to respond to you and they don't care and like whatever. But honestly, and I've been telling this to my coworkers and everybody a lot this week, like I wouldn't be here saying these things and posting these things if I didn't want to answer all the questions. Like I would, 100% rather answer a question or have a discussion with someone who felt like they might be intruding on my perspective or whatever, Um, than them go unaware of what, you know, the information that they needed. And the reality is, is that I've done a lot of work on my own boundaries in the last few weeks. And if I don't want to talk about something, or if I don't have time, I just will blatantly not and I will, you know, find a way to make that work for me without being rude. But I'm not going to overextend myself. And that's like a huge goal of mine that I work on every day.
0: <laughs> that I think a lot of us should be setting that goal. <laughs> um, I know yeah. that that's something about a year ago, even for me, I was like, I think I'm taking on too much of the things that are causing like my energy to shift or my, en- you know, and um, I think it's important for everyone but sometimes like especially when you're like I know you're so passionate about what you're doing and so it's sometimes we don't see where like the line is because we want to make sure we are answering things but I'm I commend you for doing that and taking on that goal because it's important for for you to be able to serve your community right
1: yeah and like exactly I've just I've made so many like little I don't I always say the word little but I don't know, some people find that like belittling to things. But anyways, I, I've made all these like mini online friendships where like I have these consistent conversations every few weeks with people that you know I follow and they follow me. And it's it's nice to have that community. And I think that it's been really easy for me to build that community so far because as a whole, like the autistic community, like we don't care about the social norms. If we wanna to talk to someone, we're probably just gonna to talk to them. And like yeah. to have our energy met is just so refreshing. Like to actively be messaging someone online and be like, I can say whatever I want and be like, Oh yeah, they get it. Like, you know, obviously to a degree of respect, but like to just not have to hold back and explain certain tendencies or like explain why I message back immediately because I'm up all night on my phone because I can never sleep, like to have such a common understanding is been is so invaluable. And I think for so many of us who are late diagnosed, it's just like such a refreshing breath of breath, fresh air to not feel like we don't understand ourselves and nobody else does either.
0: Yeah, I think that's you you put it so perfectly with having that community where you don't have to explain yourself and you don't feel because I think like ideally we shouldn't have to explain ourselves. But sometimes you still feel the burden of having to explain why, you know, why you just want to keep talking and or or why you're up at night. Um, whereas when you have that community where you just feel that like they get it, I don't feel even the burden of having to, even if I'm, you know, making the decision of I'm not going to explain myself, you still feel that sometimes, you know, I feel a yeah. lot of-
1: it's just like the boundary thing where it's like we're all trying to you know stop saying sorry and stop explaining ourselves and it's such like a hard thing to stop doing
0: <laughs> it is so yeah having that community um I'm just I'm very happy that it exists I'm happy that I can point people to it too if you know if they're asking me questions and I have you to kind of be that connection um and and others I think and you know and I was I think, I don't even know if we were recording yet when I started telling you this, but I got, um, you know, after we did our live, I've, I've gotten some DMs from other SLPs, but I've also gotten DMs from people in the actually autistic community, which it just made me feel like more of, you know, more SLP. I mean, because I'm so ingrained in the SLP community, I think I'm like, okay, well, more SLPs need to be able to be that kind of connection if that's the case.
1: I think that is, like, the perfect example of what what we can do as SLPs is just, like, listening and publicly, like, saying how we're learning and that we don't know things. And, you know, our field is huge and there's so much we don't know. And I think to um, people and patients and, you know, onlookers and students, clients, whatever you want to – whoever you're, like, working with – there's that superiority effect where we come off like we're the professionals and we know everything. And you know, some people portray that personally, and you know, that's that's a very intimidating thing for people, especially autistic people and you know, the disabled community where we we have a lot of healthcare trauma with providers usually. And so, for people like SLPs to be so public about, hey, this is what we're learning. Tell us this. Tell us that. Like it's it's so reassuring and. Um, I think that the speech community and the actually autistic community online obviously are separate because they're different, but um, like I was telling you, I think a little before we started recording, when I first got my diagnosis and really was going through my discovery and at the end of my really severe um, autistic burnout earlier this year, I had to detach completely from the speech path community online. I unfollowed most of the speech accounts, and I was just like, nope, can't do this. I can't, can't do it. Um, and now, obviously, I've gotten a lot back into it, but I think as speech paths, we don't always realize the trauma that comes with experiencing a lot of different things, but, you know, being disabled or being autistic and not knowing it or just any, there's, there's a lot of trauma with it. There's a lot of talk in the autistic community, especially about how can you even separate trauma, like a traumatized human from an autistic human, like in this day and age with the way that a lot of us were raised um, in like society wise, not to, like throw at parents, obviously, but um, you know, like I, there are very few autistic people who didn't grow up traumatized for things. So it's,
0: yeah,
1: yeah there, there's just so much that I think needs to be talked about. And I think that for our kind of generation of like millennials and Gen Z and all of that, especially during times of COVID online and Instagram and those places like that is, that's where our platform is and that's how we can connect.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I have so many thoughts. I always do this to myself. I have so many thoughts. I don't write them down, but (laughs) It's okay. Oh. But, you know, in just kind of jumping off of that point of having that social media platform, I think that's why it is so important to be willing to have conversations. And we talked about this in our live and coming together and asking questions um, and and being learn, learnable, teachable. Um, you know, as SLPs, I think I, I try to make sure that I'm saying that enough. I guess sometimes maybe I don't, I, you know, but I'm like, I am here to learn. I, I feel like I, as a, you know, they, I remember in grad school, they tell you as an SLP, you know, it will be about four years, five years, and then you'll feel like,
1: you don't know what you're doing. It's like, why don't you just teach me what I need to know now to know what I'm doing? Why are you going to make me flail like a chicken with my head cut off for five years? I what I know. But the, and then the truth of it is, is like,
0: I've, I'm in my fourth year and I am like, there is so much. And I, and I kind of understand like two years of grad school is not going to cut it um, as far as teaching me, but I wish they would have told me you're going to learn a lot more from your peers, from your colleagues, from um, you know, and, and just like this conversation is, it's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to learn about the things that are happening in the world And how they're affecting the people that you might service or just the people, you know, like.
1: I feel like they didn't emphasize the social, like socioeconomic type, like social, cultural, community aspects of things. And it's just like for autistic people, especially like that's what they need. Like that's what we need. We need a community. And that's like, yeah, I think the grad schools in general, um. You know, there's a lot that I'm not going to go into right now, but there's a lot about like, you know, the way that those institutions are created and who they're designed for and who they benefit and, you know, the reasons that programs across the country aren't more, um, you could say, socially aware in terms of like social justice and things and intersectionality, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I think could improve a lot, but obviously like we are educated well enough. Like I did feel confident in a lot of things leaving grad school, um, not to like dismiss all of our education. <laughs> right, right. But I think that as a whole, our field needs to take a listen about what we're what we need to grow from and what we need to learn from. And I mean, I think it's pretty the demographics of our field are mostly white women. So we, we have a lot of
0: learning to do. Yeah. No, and that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, and so that is always my biggest, you know, I get asked a lot, like, what's your big, be- your best piece of advice for someone leaving grad school or going into grad school? I'm like, you better be teachable and you better continue wow. to be teachable after you walk the stage. And then you better continue to be teachable after Asha gives you your certificate of competence. And then yeah. you better continue after your first it's three so- years, like.
1: Exactly. One of the best things, um, one of my somebody professor somebody in grad school said that i always think about is that as you become more and more experienced like you need to obviously like be a supervisor or mentor to graduate students graduate clinicians new grad cfs like when you're able but also like see those people as an asset like learn about the current research learn about the new perspectives learn about what people their age cuz usually you know the older you get the newer grads are going to be younger like you know it's and I think that personally, that's something I've had a hard time in my, in our field is that people don't take my perspective seriously at times because I'm a new grad or because I am five feet tall and 25. Like they just literally like, (laughs) no, and you know, like our field isn't immune to that. Like we're all humans. People all react that way. And so it's important to be aware. I think of our biases and like,
0: Remind ourselves to learn and be teachable. No, oh, I 100% agree.
1: Um, <laughs> I got. I texted her a minute ago. And I, was
0: like, hey, I love that. Oh my gosh, so sweet. Checked
1: out my gay unicorn mug.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. I was in. This is such a tangent, but it just reminded yeah. me because I when um, a couple months ago. I had to, my boyfriend and I had to take an emergency trip to Tennessee for family. And I had to run IEPs one of the days we were there. And since everything was virtual, I was like, well, I don't have to take a day off work. I just have to sit in the hotel room and run my IEPs. Yeah. And I had like four back-to-back IEPs. And he was in there working on music. Um, and I was texting him like, "Get me a snack. Okay, now I need water. And he's like rolling it to me under the table. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: so funny because like now I'm back to work and it's all remote. And so... This past week, um, Kella, they work at a residential psych facility, and so they're swing ships. So on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when I'm working from home, I have somebody (laughs) who wants attention all day. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really entertaining. But yeah, yesterday, um, one of our best friends kidnapped her for me. So I'm hoping to loan her out to our (laughs) friends.
0: I love it. No, it's, it's definitely, it's such an adjustment having like, like more time. It's like, well, when COVID first hit, we, I was like, I was the one that needed attention. I was the Keller yeah. of, of the, the partnership because, um, he was like, he works on, he makes music and stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not work. Literally. I'd like, I just have to put on my assignments on my teacher, my website every day. And then I kind of have free time. Um, And not that I wasn't like making new materials and stuff, but I would be like, we could do it together. And he was like, no, (laughs) you need to stay home for like at least three hours of work. (laughs) So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Her and I are both like really, um, sometimes too happily codependent in the like, let's do it together. And it's, it's so funny, but I think a lot of it comes from A, being lesbian, (laughs) (laughs) that I am a triplet and she's a twin so we're oh. used to that like yeah always doing something together never really being like your own individual yeah. in a way so yeah well.
0: well at least you guys have that right that commonality like my my boyfriend and his brother they're super close to the like they're actually like six years apart but they were just raised to be so close mm-hmm. and um before my boyfriend and I started dating I'm pretty sure they would like because they lived together, and they would, like, go grocery shopping together and stuff, and so now, if, like, my boyfriend goes to the grocery store, he calls me, like, do you know what I need, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, um, no, but, like, no, maybe ask your
1: brother,
0: yeah, but it's, yeah, so it's funny, because it's, I could see that where it's, like, you kind of balance that, that out when you've been raised that way, with that closeness, so it's kind of, it's good, it's a fun thing,
1: it's fun, right, Right. I <laughs> I was gonna say it also doesn't help that we're both neurodivergent. Oh yeah, that Oh is. yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. We have some ideas. We're gonna make some videos. I
0: Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I can't wait. How did you guys meet?
1: Tinder. I love it. Yeah, Kella really loves to tell the story, which it used to make me cringe, but now I guess I'm kind of just like I've accepted it. But um <laughs> So like I saw her on Tinder, like we matched. It was a mutual match, right? Yeah. She, she forget- That's how Tinder works. Yeah, that is how Tinder works. And um so we matched and I like messaged her first and I was like, I'm in awe of you, like heart face. Mm-hmm. And she didn't answer me. <laughs> she left me on red for six months is her favorite way to put it. Which I would like to point out we were both dating other people at the time and neither of us would have been good in the relationship at that point. But anyways, we, um, after that phase, both ended up back on Tinder, and, like, and she was, like, going through her old matches and sent me, like, a, hey, it's been a while, but, like, are you still interested? (laughs) We went on, um, our first date, and, like, before our first date, she sent me, like, a corgi thing, like, in our text messages, and I was, like, okay, dogs, check, cool. She clearly, like, picked up that I like dogs. And then, um... After our first date, she's just kind of never gone away. <laughs> no, she's great. We Everyone in Kella's life likes to joke that you don't um, you don't ask for a Kella. You just get a Kella. She just kind of, like, appears. Is that Did I say that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I feel like that's kind of how I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, and I'm staying, by the way. No, yeah, like, <laughs> I
1: wish to do that sometimes, too. It's like, no, I'm here.
0: Yeah. Don't forget about me. Okay. Thanks. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. Um,
1: how did you and your partner meet?
0: We actually, we went to high school together. It's funny. It's just like, everybody's like, oh, so you've been dating since high school. I'm like, oh no. Um, we, and, and I kind of like how it worked out. Cause we were, he's, he's one year older than me. He was a senior. I was a junior. I happened to get put into like an elective class that he was in. And then, towards the end of his senior year we kind of just became friends like it was just you know like we would do projects together every once in a while whatever and then um stayed friends on Facebook and would like talk every once in a while he went to school um like two hours away and lived down down there in the San Diego area and um we would just maintain a Facebook friendship like everyone does you know after high school and then I don't know. He, I think it was like five years later or something. Um, I was working in a restaurant and he got hired and started working, but I was dating somebody at the time. And, um, we just kind of picked up where we left off as friends. And then about a year later I had broken up with my ex, but he had kind of Mark, my, um, boyfriend had kind of just been like writ- written and all off. Cause he was like, well, she's dating someone like whatever. But then, uh, he didn't, I always joke with him, like, you don't wait too long to, like, just, like, let me know you're interested, yeah, I was, like, you kind of, you know, because he's the type, he's very much, like, when I'm off work, I leave work, I don't even say goodbye to anybody, but he would start saying goodbye to me, and, like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah hanging around, and I'm, like, mm, okay, but it was kind of, it was good that we had, like, time to just become friends, I think, because I was, not in a place, like, even the year he started working, you know, with me, and we kind of reconnected, if I'd broken up with my boyfriend, that at that time, it would not have been a good idea to, like, start dating, I needed to get to a place where I could be more mature.
1: Exactly, and, like, that's how it worked out well for us, I always think that, like, if we had actually, like, connected at that time, we would have had a very, like, Toxic separate like it would have been like it just wouldn't have made sense, and then we would have probably eventually found our way back to like, okay, I'll like hang out with you again, but I don't know. Yeah. You agree with that? Um, I agree that timing is everything. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I agree that time heals everything. I love it. Okay. Well. Anyways. No, you
0: guys are, you guys are awesome. And Kella and I recently, we were talking about our live too on Instagram, oh, really? <laughs> just how, how awesome it was to get to, to share all that information. Um, I still, I'm like, kind of, it just, it left me feeling so, it left me feeling obviously like, oh my gosh, I have a lot to learn still, obviously, but it also was like, this is a really great step. And I, I think it's a really great step for other people in the SLP community to follow, um yeah.
1: yeah and i was like really really excited to see um it's honestly it's like more and more each day and each week like i'm getting different accounts that are like these really big um speech accounts with you know thousands of followers and it's like um whether those followers are speech paths or just you know parents or families or whoever like that's a a big audience so and it it's really reassuring to me that i'm getting some people with like these big audiences to you know listen and at least like follow my page and learn a little even if they're not interacting with me or like posting things like yeah. just to know that people are like oh yeah I should probably like figure this out like it it is it's reassuring and it's fun just to like socially and like individually for me like it's fun yeah. Obviously, we all like the dopamine that comes with social media but <laughs> um yeah it's it's exciting and I'm hoping that the Disability um, movement of like neurodiversity and inclusion and everything, along with all of those other things that we've been talking about. I hope that you know it keeps the momentum that we're seeing.
0: I'm hope I I feel like because of social media, I am more hopeful about it. I feel like because I almost I'm I'm like this isn't going like
1: it's not going away. We're keep emailing Asha or messaging Asha exactly. until they acknowledge.
0: Things that are important, like yeah, and so yeah, yeah, exactly. No, and, and yeah, and it's like it's so funny because, um, you know, you get that that update after you do a live. You get like a, do you want to save it? Do you want to delete? Like, are you done? Like, do you want to post it? And I message you because i like, you're okay if I didn't even ask you, but you're okay if I post this, right? Like, I don't want it to go away. Right. Um, and at the time, I had I had just gotten my new phone and hadn't set it up yet, but my old phone I couldn't save. <laughs> Like, because oh, no. my, my memory was all you know gone because it's an old phone and mm-hmm. not working and um I was like well, I'm posting this because it needs to be saved like I can't yeah. I can't um act like this didn't happen you know this live didn't happen um
1: yeah no, and I, was- I'm I'm happy that you were able to save that because I realized after that I was like oh I don't have access to that video <laughs> I know and you know what
0: now that I have I could probably save it I should probably send it to you I'd love to put it on like, YouTube or something, on my yeah, YouTube channel. Um,
1: that would be super helpful if you could send it to me. And, yeah, yeah feel free to put it wherever. Okay. I So one of my – one of our best friends is a CODA. Um, okay. I live a deaf adult for people listening if they don't know. Um, and she's also an interpreter for the deaf. She went to Gallaudet. She's, like, an amazing human and obviously, like, has been – like, ASL was her first language. She's been a part of deaf culture for her entire life. Um, anyways, I was – so, uh, transcribing our thing for hours the other day, and it was interesting because I, I like to listen to things because especially when I do any form of public speaking, I kind of like black out in the moment. I'm <laughs> like, what did I say? I, do- I hope it made sense. But um, so anyways, I was asking like, what what can I use for like captions and things like that, um, so that I don't have to spend hours transcribing. things yeah. Um, and there was a post I shared this morning that gave a few examples, but the one that she Told me, which I downloaded, is called Mix Captions. Okay, and so um, I was planning to use that to finish the rest of the transcript from the live. So if you want to send it to me, yeah, I can play around with that app. Myself. Let me see if
0: maybe I can save it right now just so I don't forget. Yeah, um, to my phone. I like how I'm just this is just this is a conversation. I love it so much.
1: <laughs> I honestly can't, I hate the like formal type conversation things because. Me too. It's just such like a dumb thing. Like, no, if I'm talking, I'm talking. (laughs) Yeah. But also I think that mixed captions, the ones that I I downloaded, it might have had a small fee. I just hit like download and I wasn't paying attention.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I mean. There are
1: some free ones that are in um, one of the posts I shared this morning.
0: Okay. I don't know if I can save it. It won't. Okay, well, I'll Google it. I'll figure this out after. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, I really want you to be able to have those captions. And I'm going to look into it because I wonder if, like, on a live event you can use. Yeah, okay. Because,
1: like, I'm pretty sure you can. I don't know as far as, like, live as in in the moment use of it. But that I just would have to look up. I feel like there might be some program or, like, a resource for that. But, I know at the very least you can upload a saved video and it will transcribe it or like caption it for you. And then you can yeah. like, do an edit and like approve. And yeah. Just, like, um, at least that's what I got from the description um, my friend gave me. So we'll see. I downloaded it this morning. I got it. Okay. Video.
0: Yeah. Definitely let me know um, if you've learned about it before I do. <laughs> I'm yeah, for sure going to look into it because I want it for my stories too because I've been trying to in my stories you know I sit and it takes like 10 minutes I'm typing out I'm transcribing um and I want to be able to do that but if it's something that I could just caption it for me that would be so exactly. nice that's
1: why I don't really do a lot of talking stories because <laughs> I don't have the energy to do that and I personally never have the sound on my phone like I do not listen like unless like with your stories, I was like, oh, I'm tagging it, so I'm going to turn the sound on, <laughs> yeah. but like, I, it's it's a sensory thing for sure, and like a preference, but like, I hate when sound like disrupts stuff, so it's like, my phone vibrating, I've kept my phone on like silent and do not disturb for years and years and years, like, and people used to get so mad at me, because I was just like, never hear my phone ring, but like, it, it just intrudes my like, sensory bubble, and then it like, it's just why let an annoying sound that I don't need to startle me startle me when I can just like read it and then pick and choose when I listen to it and how
0: Uh, that not that I like have the same thing but I when it comes to my phone I don't know the reason why but I always have it on silent too and um so I don't get like I won't hear when people text me and the same thing
1: it's like preserving your like immediate attention to because yeah like, I don't want to talk to people like sometimes if you're calling <laughs> me I literally don't care I'm not answering it's like, right right so it's, it's again I think that's something I've picked up as to like why I feel those have those preferences because I've been doing a lot of work about boundaries lately because that was a huge part of why I had it Really, I mean, among a million reasons, but why I got so burned out earlier this year, like I was just over committing and doing everything I can for other people at like a blatant disregard for my own well being, and like, yeah, that's not sustainable or helpful. No,
0: can we talk about your journey and what how you got to your diagnosis it, yeah. at the age of
1: 25? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. um, so I've been making a conscious effort to change my wording and calling it, or not calling it, um, referring to my, like, journey, I guess, as, like, an autism discovery, rather than just the diagnosis, because, um, there's obviously so much more to it than just the diagnosis, um, but, yeah, and, okay, so, oh, god, I don't know where it makes sense to start, I mean, we obviously talked a little more about, like, how I had some original, like, ideas about it and my clinical fellowship and being around self mm-hmm. um classrooms, but I think the bulk of the realization came um, in 2020. So in the beginning of, or at the end of 2019, I started my job at a children's hospital. And it's, I ended up seeing mostly autistic kids. Um, Most of them didn't have diagnoses yet. They were coming for their first ever speech referral Um, and either were on the waiting list for the autism clinic or within our like um, hospital unit or um, hadn't really, hadn't had that discussion yet. So I had just over and over and over these initial intakes and we were given 45 minutes only for our initial evals, which is like literally nothing. It's not even enough time to go over clinic policies and start talking about the case history. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. they didn't send case histories out prior. Like, we had to literally start from scratch. Like, half the time the referrals weren't even visible in epic, epic. Like, or they would say generic, like, speech. Like, you know, like, um providers know nothing about speech sometimes. But... <laughs> So, like, I was just starting from scratch with all these families, and so I hear these elaborate developmental histories and these family histories and the dynamics of their current frustrations with these, like, 18-month-olds or even younger couple families, I think I saw, and, you know, all the way through six-year-olds, I think, that were coming with this, like, we... coming from this perspective where that family has no idea about autism but I'm looking at this family and this child and I'm like there's no way that autism is not at play here like this is what this is and um it it got really hard because it brought up there was so much going on at that time like physically I was having a lot of sensory problems in that job with the fluorescent lighting um and with the very like strict professional dress code like I couldn't do it. And honestly, I don't think anyone there should have been in that dress code. Like, we're crawling on the floor with kids. Like, this isn't – it's not logical. And, um, like, physically, like, I have a lot of posture problems. And, um, you know, like, I have fibromyalgia and a lot of, like, muscle pain and nerve pain. And I have giant boobs. I have – I'm a 30G, a 30G, and I'm 5 feet tall. And I'm, like, 120 pounds. I cannot support – these and my spine. Oh, yeah. I was crawling on the floor every day with these kids and sitting in these tiny chairs and you know, these tiny clinic rooms and just non-stop scheduled back to back to back to back. You don't we literally got no time between these patients and so it's like you're seeing 10 to 12 people in a row crawling on the floor like it it just wasn't working and I got um it was just getting harder and harder to go to work. Like I would get comments from coworkers to my supervisor about wearing leggings one day. And I'm like, they're nice fucking leggings. And, <laughs> I'm boots, and this shirt is long and it's a freaking Saturday and there's no one in the goddamn clinic. Like who the fuck told on me? And what is your problem? Because half of our staff wears leggings and baggy sweaters every single day of their life. Like why? And it just felt so singled out. And like, I had a weird experience where, um, everybody had, like, the pride little badges, like, the little, um, thing for the badge holders, like, something, yeah. like, and I got mine, finally, and I was, like, having a conversation with a co-worker who knew very well that I was gay and in a relationship, um, with a partner who was also queer, and, um, they, like, made, like, a kind of weird comment about, like, pride, and I, I've kind of just like, was like, yeah, and I like to have my badge, have it on my badge so that, you know, the world knows I'm gay, like, in just like a joking, like, that's, like, that's, that's what it is. Like, that is pride. Like, that is representation. Like, I want the people that I'm seeing to know that I'm, whether they see it and assume I'm an ally of the community or that I'm a part of it, like, that's why it exists. And that's what makes people feel safe. And so I would say things like that very casually, like during lunch, during moments where everyone's talking about their personal life. And I would just like get these looks and people would just like stop talking to me. And I was like, I'm in a room with a bunch of women who are speech passed. Like what is going on here? And then um, my supervisor, who's, who's a male, um, he would make these comments. And like the worst one that I um, wrote about specifically in um, a complaint that I – was that I was sitting in a clinic room I don't think we talked about this during live did we Mm -mm, no okay not retelling the story no (laughs) um I do that a lot um I was sitting in the clinic room at the tiny little kid chair like we all do and I had like 15 minutes left of my lunch break you know like I'm just sitting in the room it's like the main therapy room that we all kind of use it's like the the most material so whoever's like the most senior speech path that day gets it which is like a whole separate messed up (laughs) dynamic that I could go into for hours about the nepotism and seniority seniority in that department but so I'm sitting in that in that room and the supervisor walks by and it's got like the doors closed but of course it has like those rectangle windows where you can kind of see through and so he like walks by and then walks backwards like he's doing a double take and kind of like nudges the door open and he's like you look like you're stimming and he like starts laughing and just walks the fuck away and i i wasn't even officially diagnosed yet then but that was it was that point that i knew very damn well that i was autistic and i was telling my friends and my partner and like talking about it in my life and i just sat there i fucking am i'm fucking stimming i'm playing my dots game because your fucking schedule is ridiculous in this workplace is ridiculous and it kills me to show up here. But yeah, thanks for laughing at how I'm coping with existing. When you're supposed to be my mentor in a freaking teaching hospital. Yeah. So
0: oh my gosh, that makes me tear up. Like
1: Yeah. It's it's it, like my, But
0: I feel heated. Like I feel like I want to go yell at this person.
1: Yeah. And like this this is the shit that led to my burnout is working in that environment and having those demands placed in you know, I when he quote unquote reprimanded me, I mean, it was a conversation, but it was a very condescending conversation about the dress code. And I was like, "Well, I have a lot of sensory things and that day I just really and I I explained very clearly like it was a Saturday like I, you know, all the professional aspects of covering my body, which is like a fucked up thing to begin with, was covered and, you know, like I needed it to wear that sense like sensory wise that day I needed it and like, I didn't come out and say I have sensory processing disorder or anything, but, like, I made it very clear that I had a sensory need that needed to be met that day, and, like, that, and he just was kind of like, well, this is the dress code. I'm like, okay,
0: so. See, and, ooh, <laughs> I just am so angry right now, um, and rightfully so. It just, it, it's so frustrating, Like I'm just so proud of you, first of all, because you. It sounds like (laughs) you were at least so vocal for what you needed, regardless of having. What? I tried to be
1: not
0: that you you tried, tried. but at least like I mean because here's the thing like, and I love by the way I have to go back really quick and say discovery with to or with autism because I know I've been saying the word diagnosis throughout this podcast, right? Yeah,
1: but. They're also it's like it's two different things. Your diagnosis and your discovery are completely so separate. different. So, yeah, and, and I think words to be used.
0: But I, I but I see, and that's something that I just want to take and use with my families. That you know we talk about. I sit in IPs, and I get so frustrated when other professionals sitting next to me, you know, are like, "Well, that's due to their disability," and and you know those that kind of language, which yeah. it's and just it's- because the medical stuff bothers me because it's not representative It's not representing the individual and back to what you dealt with in that job is like, just because you don't have a label on paper doesn't mean that as an individual, you don't have sensory, we all might have sensory needs, but yours might be a little bit more um, impacted by the environment. Yeah. 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 And Like,
1: like, it shouldn't. Yeah. That whole thing is it's just so messed up because I think in general, letting our coworkers and the people in our lives know like what types of things help us function to our best and help us not to like be you know distracted and like it's it's just a normal thing to do it's like hey when you meet a new person like hey this is what I'm about these are my pronouns like this is who I am like FYI like these things are really important to me or whatever and it's it's not saying that like we all should run around like telling the world what we need to function every day if we don't want to but like it's a normal thing to ask for what you need and I think the idea that professionally we should set aside everything about ourselves at all times in regard our health and our needs is like a stupid capitalist patriarchal dumb idea and it's like it's hurting people like me participating in things that are like aversive to me sensory wise like yeah that can be just like frustrating and annoying and upsetting but also it's like those things cause physical pain those things affect trauma those things can cause PTSD like those things are physical and it's like sensory is physical you yep. know a physical sensation of nerves and muscles and reactions like yep. it's not just oh I didn't like that like it physically is detrimental is. to my well-being yep so I think that's something so many people are like oh sensory is squishy it's for like people who don't <sighs> No. I know
0: I know it it makes me think I have um a student who you know right now we're virtual but I got I started with him in person and he has you know what you might say are a lot of sensory needs right and so one of the first things somebody did was like oh let's get the squish toys and I'm like no let's look at the lights let's look at what's Sit
1: like down. what he's sitting down. on yeah. yeah the clothing like, like hold on know, what, what else is going on let's just not it's like it's like jumping to thick and liquids for everybody with dysphagia. There you no. go. No, 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 no. None of that makes sense. This,
0: yeah, it's it's so, and I think, you know, going back to you saying, like, talking about, you know, maybe I'm not going to go, and, and what did you say? Talking about, like, being able to, to speak up for yourself, but you don't have to, like, go and, like, yell it to everybody, but, right?
1: But You have to scream about it, like, to everybody and be an open book the way that I do, like, Everyone can keep what they want to themselves. That's obviously our own decision. But right. I'll be able to feel okay if we want to voice what we need.
0: Friends, I'm going to end this episode right there. That is part one of my conversation with Allie. Part two is full of some really great things as well. And it will be out on Thursday. Check Allie out. Her information is in the podcast notes. Ask her questions. Give her a shout out. She is doing an amazing job and I'm so grateful for her. All right.